For years, BreweryDB has been the industry's only professionally curated source of brewery knowledge and responsible for mapping millions of visits to breweries all across the United States. In early 2021, BreweryDB revealed a whole new platform with all new features for craft lovers to plan their unique brewery experience. Find, filter, search, and route your way to breweries worldwide and in your own neighborhood. To take full advantage of the optimized power of BreweryDB and to increase your brew knowledge, visit BreweryDB.com, your digital destination for brewery experiences. Good Beer Matters shares the stories of craft and culture found in every glass, and I'm excited to announce that the Good Beer Matters podcast and BreweryDB are collaborating this year to help you get to the bottom of it. Visit us at BreweryDB.com and GoodBeerMatters.net to finally have the experience you've been missing. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. If you build it, they will come. Should not be anywhere in the business plan. The lack of working capital is usually what chokes a brewery out within the first eight months. You're seeing massive turnover in businesses that have not evolved and adapted and educate. Opening a brewery or tap room is hard work that requires money, time, blood, sweat, and maybe tears. And then there's no guarantee that what you created will actually work. My next guest comes back to the Good Beer Matters podcast to teach you how to stack the deck in favor of your success. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I've also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe. And one thing is certain, the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There's a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 74 of Good Beer Matters once again with Chris Farmond of Small Batch Standard. Hey, good morning, Chris. It is, um, it's great to uh, talk with you again. And I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, you probably are, but um, you know, in years past watching Saturday Night Live, they have a thing where if you host five times, you get a jacket. And so, uh, so for coming on Good Beer Matters two more times, and I got to send you a jacket. So, um, so welcome back to the show for the third time. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I, I would be honored to wear a Good Beer Matters jacket. I know. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to have some made just uh, just in uh, in in planning. But um, yeah, you you have become my my go to uh, financial guy in the uh, uh, beer business. So um, yeah, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, um, but you know, uh, so uh, this is your third time on the podcast. Uh, in the previous um, episodes, we have gotten to know a little bit about you and what you do. But just for the sake, if, if this is the first time someone is listening to you talk about all the stuff, will you please quickly introduce yourself and give us just a like a ten second synopsis of your background? Yeah, sure. So Chris Farman out of Jacksonville, Florida. I run the Small Batch Standard, and the Small Batch Standard is a financial agency for craft. We do outsourced accounting, tax compliance, and growth consulting. And what sets us apart from other competitors is the rich data and benchmarks that we have. And we're able to look at a, a swath of different breweries, depending on your revenue stream, and, and benchmark you against breweries of your same size. So we we continue to really develop and focus on that part of the business because that is where brewery owners are most interested in is is how do i compare dollar for dollar against breweries my same size um and, and so anyone who has a a brewery um who is you know looking to this is going to be a little plug for you anyone who's looking to get a little help not only with the finances but in the previous episode we talked about strategy and mm -hmm. and things to think about not just taxes and and where to spend your money so you you uh, by my understanding, you kind of have um, a kind of a, a complete wheelhouse in in your in your office, um, right? But you also have a, a bit of a history in uh, acting in, in improv, and and as discussed in the last episode, you're you're quite the writer as well. So you kind of 
you kind of are that guy that uh, can can deal with the the spreadsheets and numbers and and uh, a little bit of uh, a creative side as well. Right. Yeah. We we base all of our decisions and consulting off numbers. And as cold as that may sound, it actually works. We we do insert a little emotion when when necessary, but at the end of the day, with these atypical times, and even before atypical times, with all the competition and the breweries coming on, it's critical to look at items such as labor, cost of goods sold, advertising, and and really see if those spends are working for you. And also, like you mentioned, we can jump into revenue strategy and help out. Uh, with suggestions and and other examples that we've seen working so deeply in the industry. And so it is. And you can do it by actually relating to people and with a bit of humor and a little bit of uh, personality as well. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the full package. We can't, yeah, we can't do it. We can't do it straight up accounting style. We got to do it with some humor and some personality. So, yeah, I mean, you know, our, this is the beer industry after all. Absolutely. It's it's funny you you mentioned that because I I may have mentioned this on the last episode but our our mission statement is to build deeper relationships and it came full circle for me this last year when we were doing uh, year end compass reviews with everyone a compass of their their business and it most of the compasses started off with how are you how's your family and how's your team and so that that to me was a barometer that we're actually fulfilling our mission and the data, the taxes, the accounting, the benchmarks, that's all ancillary for me. So it's very important for what we deliver, but I really want to ensure that we're building a deep relationship with that, with that customer. So it's got to come with humor and, and lightheartedness or that relationship can't be built. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so to that effect, I mean, here you are dealing with finances and taxes and numbers, but um, but speaking to your creative side, you've also recently started a new podcast, which you alluded to um, at the, I believe, in our the last interview we did together, but, but it's actually out now. And tell us about the new podcast. Yeah. So in January, we launched the True Craft podcast, and it's an extension of our content creation. We've been writing in the space for the past decade, uh, and we thought it was time to move to a voice format. We're still writing, not as much, because we're able to launch a weekly show. And what's unique about our format is I work with a resident co-host, which is a brewery owner, and we follow 10 topics. It's Each season is 10, 10 episodes. We follow 10 topics, and Once the resident co-host and I speak about it, then we invite another brewery owner to talk about the same topic. So we extend the conversation to basically an outsider. The resident co-hosts mostly are customers, current customers. We have a deep relationship with them. I know them very well. That may change in the future, but seasons one, two, and three will will be in that that same format. And it has uh, we're we're almost wrapped up with launching season one, and it's been an amazing turnout. It's been amazing uh, reaction to the content. That's great. Um, and uh, just on a, um, had a longer drive yesterday, and I, I think it was yesterday that I listened to your uh, episode on leadership and just kind of talking through the different issues that come with good leadership, bad leadership, the, uh, the you know, leader eats last and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and other aspects of that, um, including, you know, the leadership having to let go and let your employees. I thought it was an interesting conversation about um, all, the, uh, all, the, all the issues that both the leaders and um, employees um, are dealing with. And I, I, hopefully everyone goes back and listens to that because it's, it's, it's worth uh, a reminder uh, for all the people in these positions. It, I, I thought it was a good episode. Thank you for putting that out. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. So, so leadership will remain on our topic list because it is so important to the growth and the, the moving forward of the business. And as stated in season one, and I repeated a lot in season two, the the gap with with leadership in breweries is is when does the passion project become a business, mm. and when do we move out of viewing our team as peers and friends and 
you know, really holding them accountable. And that, that gap is, is so, so wide for some breweries that it really leaves a lot of frustration and a lot of ball dropping on the, in the owner's lap. And, and it just, the business isn't sustainable then. So at, and it, it's a different point for each brewery, right? The leadership switch is a different, different time for each brewery. But once you identify that it's time to really move into this, it's, it, you really got to act swiftly and excuse me, you really got to act swift and get some changes made. So I appreciate that. And, and those, those, those were fun. Leadership's always a fun topic for me. And it's, it's so complex and it's so, yeah. So anyone listening to this, uh, go listen to uh, True Craft True Craft podcast, especially that leadership episode is is the one that we're talking about now. But um, and I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, but but now we're going to talk about Good Beer Matters podcast. Um, you know, I wanted to talk to you today about um, you know a lot of businesses uh, because of COVID have just closed their doors. Some beloved restaurants, tap houses, even some breweries just couldn't quite hang on um what from from your look at the numbers and everything that you see in your in your uh crystal balls over there in, in um uh, jacksonville florida of looking at you know businesses um mm-hmm. what, what's happening in the state of the brewing and the restaurant industry today yeah so big picture um breweries did okay in 2020 whether you were a full production facility with your own candy line, whether you were a taproom only model with mobile canning and crawlers, the industry was very agile and relentless. And I say that because I, I've witnessed, I've personally witnessed some breweries filling single head, you know, purchasing a single head canning uh, line and filling cans one by one to get to get product to market. Others scrambled to get crowlers. Others, so basically they did what they had to do to remain open. Now I will say that the government incentives and the business incentives that came out, whether it's a state or local grant or federal money, certainly helped it all along. But if you remember, Jeremy, breweries were always deemed essential. And if you were a production brewery and you you had a powerful canning line, your distributor and your accounts should have been buying everything you were making. Now, I understand that the draft, the loss in draft can't make up what you the the amount you package cannot make up the amount of you lost in draft, but it was something to keep the lights on, make a little bit of profit and continue moving forward. I'm not experiencing that many closures personally. I'm hearing about them through the media outlets and the the news channels. Between me and you, Jeremy, and all the listeners, I believe any business that closed due to COVID was doomed before beforehand. Uh, Tom and I talk about this in one of our one of our office hour episodes. Uh, I believe that if a pandemic with all the assistance out there was unable to uh, if the pandemic with all the assistance out there was the thing that did you in, you you really had other underlying issues and this just brought it all to the light. Well, that's interesting. So, you say that, uh, f- forgive me for interjecting, but I, 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 yeah. I want to dive in right here because um, so you and I are recording this in the beginning of March of 2021 and, uh, and nearly a year ago, almost, well, we're like a week away from when the entire COVID curtain started dropping on the U.S. Um, right, pretty shortly thereafter, uh, the Brewers Association came out, um, you know, and, and, and they were talking about, uh, you know, polling their breweries and getting this information, these, this data from their breweries, but they, they were fearing uh, a closure of up to about 40 some percent of, of all the craft breweries in the U.S., and then I had you on the uh, on my little pandemic uh, mini series uh, for the Good Beer Matters, and mm-hmm. and you were much more optimistic. I mean, what what I was hearing from the the Brewers Association and what you were saying were nowhere near in the same ballpark. But um, yeah. but so I'm just going to ask you point blank, Chris. Were you right? 
for the data set that we work, absolutely. You know, we so we work intimately with 50 breweries and four distilleries. I mean, we we could talk. We could have a whole episode on what distilleries did with sanitizer and and how they they came out uh, squeaking clean. Now, that's very if you look at R50 plus, let's say an additional hundred that we'll talk to from just uh, sales inquiries. And we also performed, I think, 20 assessments last year, brewery business assessments. All 20 of those weren't going anywhere. Uh, They had taken the proper action to position their business to, to move forward. Now, if we go back to the Brewers Association data, um, I would not disagree that 40% of the breweries out there are probably not in a position to stay remain open. Whether that's a poor business management, whether that's poor quality, whether that's poor leadership, I would say without a doubt, because we're saying there's 10,000 breweries now. Let's just do a round number. 4,000 of those are doomed to close or could have closed due to COVID. I, I can buy that. I, I, I can agree with that, but not for pandemic reasons, for the, all the reasons I discussed a few, few minutes ago. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So if you want to say that my data swath of 110 total breweries that we intimately touched last year, none of them were even in danger of closing is representative of the whole industry. That's probably a little light, but I know enough about the the major and the mind, the small and the major markets out there to say that the top seven in every major and minor beer craft beer market isn't going anywhere. Um, In a major market and maybe the top 15 isn't going anywhere top 20 breweries aren't going anywhere. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I, I didn't think, um, if 40% were going to close, it was due to the pandemic just pushed them over the edge, but they had major underlying issues. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, uh, in a minute, uh, remind me, I want to circle back around to some of these, uh, breweries and businesses that, that, you know, are, are still open but maybe they're hanging on, or maybe they were the breweries who uh, opened up um, March 1st of 2020, uh, much to mm-hmm. their lament. Um, so I'm going to put a pin in that for now. But um, but with all that, with all these closures that that I've seen and that you know we we talk about out in the uh, internet, um, they're, they're still it's creating a little bit of a void, a little bit of a vacuum, and and there are places that I'm aware of that are starting to open up. Um, is you know we're not out of the COVID thing yet. We're not out of uh, whatever challenges we've had, but there's definitely a glimmer of hope in the future. Is now a good time to open up a brewery or a tap room or a restaurant? Uh, I would say yes and no. So I would say yes for the reason that there is a bunch of available space and probably a bunch of available uh, the, the the cost to enter is going to be less primarily for restaurants at the moment. You're going to find built out spaces with equipment and the opportunity. I wouldn't say necessarily turnkey, but far less than if you were going to build something from scratch. The no about it is the, 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 the not a good idea to open up a brewery or restaurant now is if um, you are looking at it through a lens of this, this seems cool. This seems like something that I can do on the side. This is something that I'm not going to dedicate all my time to. And I just want, um, a, a, a side business. And so basically not taking it seriously, not owner operating, um, would, would be a, you know, a red flag for me. If, if someone came to me and said, should I open a, a brewery right now? With that being said, I've spoken to half a dozen, six to be exact, breweries that opened up either in Q4 of 2019 or in 2020. And they just they just did it, right? Their what their what their intention was and what they executed on was completely different. Hmm. Their intention was one was to open up and become a barrel and blending facility. Zero distribution, uh, beautiful taproom releases. Nothing in their major market was offering this product. 
well, the world shut down and the whole model changed. And now they're actually distributing a little bit more than what they would like to. They position themselves with a distributor for an easy out. There's no contract that keeps them in for life. So they were thinking ahead saying, this isn't going to last forever. We just need to remain open till the end. So then we can pull back all of our product out of distribution, not have to go through some major lawsuits and begin with the, with the plan that we, we, we did. Um, you know, another brewery I spoke to opened up a major production facility in Q1 of 2020. And with the opportunity to fill tons of draft beer, that was quickly shut down. And I've seen them pivot to some creative pricing um, offerings, some creative pricing offerings to attract business. And so I, I think it's not a blanket yes or a no. It's each opportunity is going to have to be looked at the same, the same way. I do believe for existing brands that are solid, I am seeing a lot of expansion right now to either a second brew pub or an expansion of production space. I'm seeing a lot of collaboration between alcohol and non-alcoholic. So beer and coffee, beer and seltzer, non-alcoholic seltzer, whether two companies are merging or breweries are expanding their portfolio. So <clears throat> I, we're reading a lot about the non-alcoholic space and we're reading a, a lot about what do they call it? Alternative, alternative fermented beverages. Is that, is that the term? Uh, I've, I've, I've heard that before. I'm sure there's different uh, synonyms for it, but. Yeah. So I hope I didn't skirt your, your answer. Uh, your, your, I hope I didn't skirt your question by, by saying it's a, it's a yes or a no, because I've seen, I've seen both, both examples. Um, I, I can't tell you of an example of someone that opened in December of 2019 and then is now closed. I'm sure that happened, but um, I don't. I, I have not personally spoken to them. Well, I, I think the uh, the discourse of going through the pros and cons of it, I think, it, it is far more valuable. If if I were listening to this, uh, a, a simple yes or no answer is just uh, not quite as satisfying as diving into it. Um, sure. But but uh, so thank you for that. So. So, um, like I, I prepped you before we uh, started rolling, is I, I wanted to say, uh, or wanted to have you walk us through that if, um, let's say, uh, you take me on as a client, and I want to open up a tap room in my little town, um, and and uh, and from what you just said, if I wanted to be that, I just want to own the place and have other people run it. Uh, I think you just talked me out of that. Um, but yeah. uh, but let's say I want to open up a cool little tap house, uh, but I know absolutely nothing other than hey I I know beer. Uh, what would you advise me to do? What are the steps that I need to take in order to open this up and have it thrive in the future? I've got a question for you. How are you engaging with your customers? Are you adding value or just vying for attention? If you have a business, then you are an authority and should be regarded as a partner in everyone's mutual success. But getting that message across in the first place, that's the trick. At Mountain Sea Media, I use education and storytelling to keep your brand on top of mind. So if you're done with ineffective marketing and want to create more impact, I want Mountain Sea Media to be your resource for high-value branded content. Contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com to explore the possibilities. After all, it's your story. I'll help you tell it. Yeah, sure. I get that question a lot. I used to get it a lot 2015, 2016. And I'm going to take my initial answer and fast forward it to 2021. The first thing I would advise you to do, Jeremy, is approach every other nano brewery or every brewery in your town and see if they're willing to sell their brewery. And while, while that may not be the answer that everyone's thinking about, there are a lot of businesses out there that are experiencing founders fatigue. And this may be an opportunity for them to get out unscathed, possibly, and then the buyer just maybe assume a bunch of debt, which they would have assumed anyway, rather than giving a bunch of equity away to investors to get this place open. 
So it could be a win-win for both, right? So explore what's out there. Um, have an honest conversation. You, you don't, it doesn't need to be snooping around or shadiness. Just walk up to find the, if you're in the beer scene in that market, you probably know the owners or have access to the owners. I would invite them to coffee. I would invite them to dinner and kind of see what their temperature is for selling their business. Um, if that goes south and you truly need a, you truly need to build your own, your own brewery, then I would say begin by finding a space that is going to fit your needs. I think with COVID and what the new normal is going to look like, it's going to need outdoor seating. It's going to need as much space as possible while making the square footage make sense uh, from a metrics perspe perspective. Um, and it could be where you find a spot that doesn't need a whole lot of retrofitting, right? It could be a spot that you just drop in a, the brew system, the seven barrel or 10 barrel system that you, you were designing on or planning on bringing in and you get started. Uh, then it's a matter of finding the capital, right? It's going can, to be, can, Chris, can I stop you real quick? Can we drill down sure. into your, your second thing, you know, finding the space? Um, the reason why I want to drill down on this even more is, you know, uh, everyone says in business, the three most important things are location, location, location. I'm sure there's a mm -hmm. couple other things that are important as well. But when you talk about finding a space that's important, okay, yes. Um, as, you know, with as little retrofitting as possible, basically we want to keep our cost down. If, if the place is turnkey and you can just walk right in and set up shop and open up tomorrow, fantastic. What about, um, you know, I've talked to people and they, they'll do, uh, oh, I, I lost the term, it was in my head a second ago, but where they'll basically do a, a traffic study, figure out, you know, okay, do we want to set it up in this uh, busy commercial area or near a community or along a, a highway? Or, you know, t talk to me about finding the location, what you're looking for, for a good location versus a bad location, despite, you know, what you already just said. Sure. I think you were just, you were describing a feasibility, feasibility study. That's the, regarding, that's the term. That's the term. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So as far as location goes, the days of opening up in a warehouse or a warehouse district are about a decade old. And this even goes for, I think, a brewery that wants to have some production power behind it. So what that means is you're going to need a lot of, a lot of square footage and close to a residential area or close to a highly trafficked area, whether it's walkers or drivers, in a, depending on the market you're in, um, I, I would say if it's going to be a uh, you know a seven barrel let let's for our examples moving forward in this call let's do seven barrel system, tap room focus only, three head uh, filler, three head canning line filler, um, and crawler machine and and taps. Okay, okay. So for a space a, a, a setup like that, I would say you need to be in a high rent high traffic area. Okay. And that looks different for different parts of the country. Brewery, that brewery that I just described are popping up all over the country in planned communities. So you have this major housing market explosion happening and there are what they call city centers or town centers on the outskirts or in the middle of these planned communities. Well, that exact brewery typically with pizza or tacos or something is going in that, that town center. Um, breweries are also opening up in historic downtowns of smaller markets that don't have a brewery, but have a lot of tourism, right? So <clears throat> people are identifying spots where they have easy walking access. If they don't have easy walking access, they have parking, and they are near um, near people with disposable income, right? Um, that 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 would be the best way I describe location location right now. Okay, great, thank you. Sure. Where where do we live off? Uh, well, I I interrupted you as you were launching into the next step, and so. Um, 
So I'm not sure. Oh yeah, after location, know. after location. Oh yeah, capital, capital. Okay, there we go. So the next step would be to find the capital that you need to open up the the business, which is either going to come from debt or equity. Are you going to self fund this place? Are you going to go out to the bank and look for a loan on on this place? If you go with the debt route, how much cash are you going to have to bring to the table to satisfy that loan, to get the bank to loan you the money? And all of this is going to depend on the space, the build out, the equipment needs. So I, so I really think the the vision of what it's going to take to make this place what you want it is going to drive how you how you get it open money wise. Now, hypothetically, let's say we take the brewery that I described and the owner's just worn out and I walked in and I said, "Hey, is there any chance you would sell me your brewery?" And the guy says, "Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm going to sell it to you for a half million bucks and it's a deal." So I'm going to go and I'm going to say, um, I need to come up with a half a million dollars. Am I going to go to friends and family and, or one main investor to help me get this, this business going, or am I going to go to a, a bank and see what it's going to take for them to loan me the money at a time where interest rates are very low. And I don't know if interest rates will be this low for a long, long time. These are the kind of questions that are swirling through my head. The bank loan, even at 5% for what they would maybe see as a risky debt instrument, is going to be a whole lot cheaper than me giving up capital or giving up equity to investors if I know my vision for this place is going to explode the value way more than 5% a year. Uh, which is which is what the and, and it it always does unless unless the business tanks. So that's kind of what's going through my head when I think of debt versus equity. Um, once I have that lined up, you know, I'm going to put the plate pieces in motion to start getting the place open. Whether it's build out, whether it's I'm I'm sorry, Chris. Can I stop you again? Because sure. Um, it, okay, so if if I'm your client and you're helping me set up this uh, seven barrel brew house. Um, Let's say for whatever reason, I choose not to go with a bank loan, which, yeah, as you described, makes more sense in this scenario. But let's say I, I know someone, um, they've got plenty of money, and they want to come in as an investor. What is a reasonable way to uh, work through how much equity to give up per the value? I mean, how do we think about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a million-dollar question because anytime you want to entertain investors, there has to be a valuation of the business, of what they're buying put out there. And that valuation will determine how much they give or how much they get for what they invest. Now, for myself as an owner-operator, I would say that given this business and Given the performance that I built and the max we could ever do in this business, I would never want to be less than 80% owner because I know that 80% of whatever the net income is going to be or whatever the earnings is going to be, I get to distribute to myself. And for anything less than 80% of that, it's really not worth all the work it's going to take me because I'm going to own and operate this thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a passive owner. I'm going to, I'm going to be in there grinding, managing ordering, cleaning, along with the team, right? Yes. So I would say if I have this investor on the sideline, I would say, look, the most I'm willing to give up is 20%. And 20%, we need, you know, we need a half million dollars. I'm willing to put in 40. So we need 460 from you. Are you willing to put in 460 for 20%? They'll go in and they'll do, they'll do the math in the back of their head and they'll say, yeah, I can do that. I can I can I can put in for 460 and we'd go to the lawyer, we'd get all the documents written up, we'd get it signed as as they're an owner. Um I'm actually working through one scenario now that's interesting if I can go on a side tangent. Of course. 
So the same story happened, but the investor is not signing the paperwork. The exact same story you described <laughs> is happening, but the investor won't sign the paperwork. And they really won't give a vague – they won't give a, a straight answer as to why they won't sign it. So I'm working with my client now, a customer, and I'm saying, hey, if they don't sign, then we'll just convert it to a loan, and we can figure out what the interest rate is later and so on and so forth. But then I started scratching my head and going, wait a minute. If this person agrees to a loan and then my client can't make the note payment and the terms of the loan get really squirrely, my client could lose their business because this person put in a lot of money, way more than 460000 into the business I'm describing. So we want to be careful when we when we when we meet people and, and when we decide who we bring in and, and make sure they're truly all in. And if they give the money, the documents are signed at the same time. So we're not chasing them to sign documents later where they can change that instrument and end up pigeonholing us. Now, I don't think this particular investor is going to do this for my, my customer. However, anything's possible. People are crazy. We just went through a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've, I've personally witnessed uh, sane people turn crazy when it comes to real estate and money and everything. So uh, you're right. Yep. You just be prepared for crazy things to happen. Um, uh, okay. But we, we have found our capital and we are getting all of our equipment and preparing to open. What's the next, what's the next step? Yeah. So, I mean, the next step is just really staying on a timeline and staying on budget. I cannot tell you how many breweries I've seen and worked with that have gone way over their budget, primarily their construction budget. I don't know the construction world that well. I do know that there are always overages and there's always uh, upcharges, but I've seen some pretty egregious ones, particularly in breweries. And they end up leading to lawsuits and the ability not to open and liens. And it really just, it, it, it screws everyone up. So I think as an owner operator, the most successful owner operators honestly do most of the build out themselves. Yeah. They have they have the ability to do it or they know someone to do it. And with the brewery we described, it's it's possible to do that. Now, maybe not cutting concrete and putting in plumbing, but really directing all that and being your own being your own construction manager because you have the know with all to do to do most the framing and the sheetrock and the painting and stuff like that. But when it comes to plumbing and electrical, I, I, I would maybe leave that to the, the pros unless you are a pro. But those are the guys that are fastest to market, uh, on budget, and seem to just open uh, seamlessly. So I would say that, yeah, set a goal of when you want to open and certainly stick to the budget that you planned when you decided to open or when you set the, the, the motion of the, the budget in motion. Well, let's talk about uh, getting equipment, all, all the, the shiny stainless that needs to go into this, this brewery. Um, uh, what, I, what, I, well, what I'm thinking about is what is the pros and cons of, of, uh, of basically purchasing all of this equipment and owning it outright or you know, basically, uh, basically have a loan um, versus uh, leasing certain equipment and so that you maintain uh, theoretically a more positive cash flow? What, what are the pros and cons of, of a couple of these different ways of going sure. about it. Yeah. So I'm personally a fan of leasing, of, excuse me, take that out. So I'm personally a fan of owning your equipment and not leasing it. And I'll tell you why. So when you, when you buy a piece of equipment and you get a loan for it, or you pay for it in cash, the equipment, equipment's yours, you own it. Right. And you, you understand the terms of the loan that you've gotten into with either the bank or Square or Cabbage or however you took that that loan, right? You understand exactly what, what what's going to happen there. Now, the timeline it takes to get that loan, if you don't have an available line of credit, may be a little bit longer. So you need a new canning line and you go out and say, we need $200,000 for a canning line. The bank's going to put you through this long, arduous process of document requests and questions and so on, so on and so forth. To get this two hundred thousand dollar loan, you're you're approved, but it's just going to take take time. This is where the shiny lease comes in, right? Within a matter of thirty seconds, 
to two minutes, you can have all the documents signed and a canning line in production versus the potential two weeks to a month that it takes to get a loan. However, with that ease of capital, you're going to pay exorbitant amounts for it. And leases always aren't easy to understand. The, the terms, the payments, the taxes are not, and the insurance are not always easy to understand. So leasing is definitely uh, a, a good option uh, when you need a piece of equipment fast and there is no other capital. You're you're unable to pull more from a line of credit. You're unable to get qualified for a loan. Um, banks do not loan money. Well, banks generally do not loan money for kegs, for cooperage. Okay. This is why the keg leasing industry exploded and got so big is because – Within a matter of six days, you could have 120 half barrels on your dock, ready to ready to be filled, branded, mind you, mm-hmm. ready to be filled, and that was very lucrative for for um, brewery owners. The the downside of those leases are they're just a little bit more expensive. But <clears throat> when we look at the financials, when we build the margin analysis, we work all these numbers in there. To say, are these half barrels? Are these six stills? Are these quarter barrels making sense? If you already are in this lease agreement and the half barrel and the quarter barrel and the six still don't make sense in distribution, well then we've got to we've got to pivot. We've got to make some changes, or we've got to increase revenue somewhere else. So, um, yeah, I mean, leases are the ultimate, quickest, most expensive. Cap, uh, capital you can get, but also a very good use of uh, or a very good instrument to to use when you absolutely are backed up against a wall. Loans are your more preferential debt instrument. They just take longer to to process and and get get funded. And so, what we're talking about, by my understanding, and I, I do have a little bit of experience in the in the keg world. Um, my understanding is, you know, you have to think about this in terms of strategy, not just cost. Um, and I think you and I had this conversation too, I believe, uh, where, where if, if you can sell a bunch of liquid right now and really start ramping up and take advantage of, of the, uh, attraction and momentum that you've built up, but you need kegs in order to do it, then leasing is that strategy to, to get you off the ground tomorrow. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. And so hopefully yeah, I, I don't... It, hopefully I'll have someone like you in my back pocket to say, okay, which is the best strategy? What are the pros and cons? What's what's the smartest route to go? Because it's not a simple yes or no answer. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's there's so many moving parts. You've got to you've got to look at all the moving parts. Yep. Okay. And then, uh, and then, uh, so we have the equipment. We're open. Is there anything else uh, along this list of what if we're going to open up this brewery? Is there anything else we need to know to to kind of really set us off? Are we talking about um, setting money aside for marketing budget, sales staff, or when when does that sort of stuff come into play? Yeah. So in your initial budget, in our initial five hundred thousand dollars to open up this place, we we needed to have a working capital set aside. And that working capital is usually 30% of the overall budget of the brewery. So 30% of um, the the um, the project would be around 150,000. And, and what that 150,000 is going to get you is cash in the bank on day one to um, pay payroll buy raw materials, buy supplies, pay rent, all the the ongoing expenses that it takes to run this business. Now, certainly you have to announce and advertise that you're open and then continuously remind people that you're there and open. There's a million studies on marketing and, and the best ways to do it when it comes to breweries. I know our friend Julie Rhodes is, is a is a wizard when it comes to the the marketing 
of of your brewery. Yeah, so I was putting say, it mildly. Right. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, I would say that the 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 lack of working capital is usually what chokes a brewery out within the first eight months. Um, and it's simply for the fact that you're starting a new business. If you build it, they will come should not be anywhere in the, in the, in the business plan, no matter how big of a craft beer desert you are, right? Because you still have to execute on every level to, to get people to come stay and then return. So it's going to take time. It's going to take time. You're going to have some screw ups when you open the brewery, as far as brewing and uh, quality. So all this has to be taken into consideration when opening up uh, a new spot. Um, I was going to say one other thing about us. Go ahead. So, um, so let's say I did not want to open up a brewery. I just wanted to open up a really cool tap house. Can I follow basically the same plan that you just laid out or are there differences, uh, just with the different business model? So you would be purchasing, you would be purchasing craft beer from other breweries, other suppliers to sell at your tap house. Yes. Yeah. Let's say I'm, I'm just opening up tap house, but not the brewery itself. Yeah. You, yeah, you could follow it. You could follow that same model. The, the pro forma, the, the, the numbers part of it, you would need to look at a whole lot more carefully because you're going to be buying beer at, at ex- way more expensive than if you were making it. And I understand there's a cost to make it, but yes, you could basically follow that same model. If you wanted to open up a, a, a growler fill station, a tap house, a bar, um, and use that framework to get open. Sure. Okay. And then, so, and as you and I talked about before we got rolling, um, one of the things is there are those breweries or tap houses that started about a year ago um, that were, because of COVID, never got completely out of the gate. They're they're open, but they're kind of in a state of limbo. Um, and so we kind of, now we fast forward to, okay, here we are, we're open but like you said, the uh, if you build it, uh, they will come model doesn't work because if COVID happens again or a pandemic happens again, they're not going to come. Come. So what what is your business plan now for those that are just opened and those that have been open but really haven't taken off yet? Sure. So so I believe that starting in August. August to the end of 2022, we're really going to have a resurgence of alcohol consumption and partying and going out and boats and and everything that goes along with what we were doing pre-pandemic for entertainment. With that being said, I think for a brewery that opened up anytime in 2020 and they have a smaller footprint and they were planning on doing a taproom only um, focus – Bring out everything that you plan on doing then and have it reset at all, you know, July 1st or August 1st. So continue to operate in the manner you're operating now. But I, I do believe when most of the country has had the opportunity to be vaccined, it, it stuff's going to open up, uh, open back up at a, at a wild pace. And you're going to have the opportunity to launch the way you wanted to. I would be planning for that launch. Even though you've been open for a year and a half, I would be planning for the reopening. So what, seems, we, what we had intended to do. It seems like right now is a great time to establish a barrel program if if you have a little brewery, if you don't have one already. Because yeah, we've got nothing but time and, and uh, kind of a hurry up and wait scenario. So it, it it's kind of like well you, you <laughs> we we may end up uh, a year from now just seeing all these just incredible barrel aged beers coming out. Wouldn't, sure. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be a kick? Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be great. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to ask you another question, kind of going into this. So we're um, now we're trying to carve ourselves out from the competition. Um, and, and I'm going to ask you to please forgive me. This may sound a little self-serving cause you know, I'm all about uh, better beer education, but what is your coming from a cost analysis standpoint? 
what is the cost benefit of having a, a better educated staff of taking the time and the effort and the expense of ha- of having a better educated staff in your brewery? Uh, better educated in each of their departments. So the production team is is continuously learning and growing with production stuff and tap room is same. You're talking about like that? Or? Uh, yeah. Well, I'll put it even more simply uh, of investing in your staff. And if they're, if they're the brewers, making sure that they have better beer education, if they're front of the house, that yeah. they, that they understand beers and pairings and all that stuff better, you know, talk to me about the, about the investing yeah. in your staff. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think you're going to get, you're going to get twofold, uh, two return on investments with, with investing in your staff. Uh, number one, they're going to learn and they're going to be able to dish that information out. And number two, they're going to feel validated and they're going to feel, um, Jesus. sorry, the long guys are here. <laughs> they, they're going to feel, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're, they're going to feel, um, a, a, a sense of self-worth that that you are continuously investing in in their education and their their growth now i understand that a majority of the positions in a brewery may not pan out to a career but the impact that you'll make on that person while they are there as they are growing will last a lifetime with them i mean i can remember back from my 16 year old job i had many jobs i had many poor leaders and I had many great leaders and I still remember some of the lessons from the great leaders when I was 16 and 17. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to immediately help your business and it's also going to immediately, it's also going to stay with that, with that individual throughout their, their career. So I would say anything you can do to invest in the, the growth of the team is, is a plus. And, and and I always love that saying when you know if you ask a uh, an owner you know you know to invest in their staff and they say well what if I what if I pay the money to educate them and they leave and then the response is well what if you don't educate them and they stay um, right and and I think that is a key point here but you know there are lots of owners out there who who just don't want to pay for that that's something that they should do on their own because you know this is their career why why should I why should I do this? What's your, what, what's your response to uh, the cost of helping your staff get better, get more educated? Yeah, I mean, your your statement says it the best, right? Your statement your statement lays it out the absolute best. If you don't invest in them and they stay, it's way worse than if you invest in them and they leave. Uh, and to my point earlier, all the lessons that I learned from great leaders. When I was young, I still keep with me today. So I, I don't think that mentality works anymore, Jeremy. And I'm saying that because you're seeing massive turnover in businesses that have not evolved and adapted and educate. There's way too much information on the internet. There's way too much chatter or communication for people, for young people to stay stagnant. If there isn't a um, path for them at the brewery. Now, I'm not saying that every brewery needs to have a well laid out career path for every position, but for the key positions, you know, absolutely. Or if you listen to Brandon Skull in my first season of True Craft Podcast, he describes their progression. I think it's the operations episode when someone comes in on the production team. And yes, there is a ceiling, but someone can break that ceiling if they're outstanding. But to get to the ceiling, they've got to make their way just the same path that everyone else did. Um, that alone, that that path alone gives people a, you know, a motivation. And when you tack on education and conferences, people really get a lot of self-worth and they 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 give back to the the, the business. So if Cost is an issue for advancing your team. I, I, once again, I'm going to put you in that 40% of breweries that are going to close. 
the the it doesn't make sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, and I, I'm totally with you. And I think if absolutely nothing else, just sending your staff off to get educated or even educating them in-house. Uh, I've personally experienced both um, both sides of this equation where there's an infusion of energy and excitement and confidence and uh, um, and and, you know, from a number standpoint, I, I, I don't even know how to quantify that um but it's palpable uh it's it's um something that that you can you you may not be able to measure it but then again i love my wife with all my heart and 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 joy and everything but i can't put a number to that so but it's still it's nonetheless it's very very real so um i think educating staff and seeing that that uh uh kind of energy shift is is uh paramount uh to all of the stuff that we've been talking about um, Jeremy, let's, let's take this idea and, and circle it back to our example for a second Okay. It, for, for the brewery that we described in education, right? I, I believe that first year, year and a half is really going to be all hands on deck grind with a seven barrel, uh, br- brewery tap room only. It's going to be a grind. So while it's a good idea to keep the education expectations in the back of your mind, I would deliver it if I was owning it as, hey, look, no one's going to CBC this year because we just opened and we're all working our butts off. But there's a good chance we'll we'll all go to CBC next year and we'll party our butts off because we'll be a year and a half into this and we would have had more procedures. So, yeah, I I don't think a brewery that opens up out of the gate needs to be like, oh, where where am I going to go educate? Because really you need to bring on people that can make the beer, that can run the tap room. Uh, and then only after success hits is when you can start in, investing the education or when the business is stable, not success, just stable. And I I agree, especially with that example of CBC. But uh, let's take, for example, the, the cost of time. Um, let's say you have a small brewery and you've got um, – Five front house staff and five uh, back house staff and five brewers, just for easy numbers, to mm-hmm. bring to spend like Friday before the place opens up or something like that. You bring everyone who's there in to taste the beer, to do some QA, um, for example. Um, yeah, you, you're you're getting some really uh, a wide, uh, as wide a of a um, group or diverse as a group as you can to get QA for what you need, but they're also training and learning their product even more. And, and if it's, if we're talking about beer, they're probably having fun while they're doing it. Um, and you know, something like that is, is very low cost. And, and one of my previous guests, um, uh, Lindsay Barr from draft lab, uh, she, she, I remember her talking about, uh, any brewery can have a, a QA, uh, set up. It's just it's going to be different for every brewery, but but it, you should start uh, on, on day one with whatever you can do, if even if something simple like that. So, I, I think there's lots of different ways to look at education, even if it's just creatively. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, what what you described is is spot on for easy, quick education wins that a, a brewery owner can can deploy. I agree. Yeah. Um, so Chris, we are getting uh, to the end and, uh, I've got some, the same wind, uh, so the wind down questions for you, but because this is your third time on the show, I found myself having to write all new questions for you. So, <laughs> so you are the Guinea pig. These could be an all out bomb, but because, uh, you've done some improv, I trust that you will carry them on, uh, into a very, uh, interesting place. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the first question is what do you wish more people understood or knew about beer? Or the beer industry. Oh, how 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 hard it is to run a brewery, and the the day to day challenges of brewery owners, uh, because from the outside in, it's merchandise and crawlers and drinking and partying. But boy, there is just so much that goes into running a brewery that is is. Um, yeah, it's 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 a tough slug. Gotcha. So and next time I show up to your brewery and complain about why is beer cost four dollars per pint, um, feel free to slap me. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so next question is, um, so uh, do, so last time I had the the magical powers to turn you into the beer king of uh, the of or the king of the beer world for a day. This time mm-hmm. I'm going to use those same magical powers. COVID is now over, Chris, and you can take your family anywhere in the world to go have a beer and a meal. Where are you going to go? What's your beer? What's your meal? Oh, this is good. I'm going to Seattle, Washington, and I'm going to go drink at Ruben's Taproom, and we're going to get some bomb-ass seafood in Seattle is where we're going. Uh, that would, my experiences in Seattle, that, that would, that's a spectacular choice, especially the seafood. And, yeah. and I, and I have had some, uh, Ruben's beer and that is equally as uh, fantastic. So kudos to you. Yeah. Um, so next question is I've already asked you the white is good beer matter that I ask all of my guests, but now we're going to change the scenario a little bit. I, uh, I turned 21 today. I've never had a touch of drink in my life. Um, like we're supposed to, uh, and today I'm going to go have my first beer, but I don't know where to begin. Um, I don't, I don't know why there's such a big hubbub about beer. Can you please explain to me why good beer matters as a brand new, yeah. never had beer before? Good beer matters. Well, so first thing I'm going to do, what I'm going to recommend to you is go find the, 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 the biggest dive bar in your town <laughs> And show up, set up to the bar, chum up to near one of the, the bar flies and ask them what they're drinking. If they're drinking liquor, move on. Then ask the bartender for what their craft, what their craft selection is and tell them dealer's choice. And hope you get a high lie or hope you get a, you know, uh, a new Belgium or something where it, it, it's a widely enough distributed craft beer where it, it tastes good and and yeah you're gonna feel you're gonna feel great after the, the the flavors in your mouth are going to be the the flavor experience is going to be far greater than if you started with what we did which was nat, natty light <laughs> natty ice <laughs> I, I, natty light i still have uh less less than fond memories of one dollar beers in college and i think that was the uh the classic uh green bottle the the yeah. rolling rocks rolling rocks sure we did we did dollar pitchers oh man of natty light or natty ice i forget which ones but those were really bad nights. Pro- probably at a profit <laughs> oh I, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> Yep. All right. So, um, so you have the new podcast out. Where can people find your podcast? SB Standard backslash podcast. Okay. Or right. they can go to sbstandard.com and go and find it on that website, on our webpage. And and you have it distributed on on all the usual podcast uh, distribution channels as well. Yeah. Yeah. If you search the True Craft Podcast or True Craft Podcast, you will see it come up. Okay, great. And of course, if someone says, you know what, I, Chris, I want to have you help me open up my, my brewery, where can we go? Yeah, just head to sbstandard.com and click the contact us link, fill out the form, and we will be in touch. Awesome. Um, last thing is, do you have any calls to action or any final words of wisdom for anyone listening? Uh, yeah, I think 2021 is going to be a, a, a a return of what we had pre-COVID, but at an accelerated rate because given the stimulus of the government and everything that they've handed out, I think there is consumer confidence. We're just waiting for places and states to open up. But I really think the second half of 2021 into 2022 is going to be an outstanding year for all alcohol, primarily craft beer and we're all going to enjoy the benefits of it. That's fantastic. I really hope that comes uh, 
comes true. Um, and I'm looking forward to a trip to Florida. I keep on seeing incredible uh, pictures of uh, beaches out there. And uh, now, now, especially now that I, I live in Arizona and don't have a beach near me, I'm, I'm kind of jonesing for some ocean water. But, um, sure. but uh, especially to uh, meet you at a brewery and finally have that beer we've been talking about at least twice already. So, um, and, and I, I'm looking forward to the next time we talk. We need to get you closer to that Good Beer Matters jacket. And uh, thank you for coming on the, the Good Beer Matters podcast once again. Anytime, Jeremy. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. As we emerge from the pandemic, there are opportunities for people to open new businesses and serve their communities. Even in normal times, there are always new opportunities have done well. Thanks to Chris for helping us navigate through these challenging waters. Reach out to Small Batch Standard for more help and resources and check out Chris's new show, The True Craft Podcast. In the next episode, we dive into the best way to market your new or existing beer business with an old friend who has mastered the art. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.